0: On this week's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Rob Stevenson, a TEDx and keynote speaker, mental health campaigner, Rob's the CEO of Formscore, the incredible wellbeing app to track your mood, and also is the CEO and founder of Inside Out, a social enterprise with a mission of ending the stigma of mental ill health in the workplace. Rob, absolutely thrilled to have you on the show. Um, we've been friends on LinkedIn for a while. I haven't really spoken up until recently, but I have followed you from afar. And some of the stuff you're doing with mental health and well-being is, is amazing. As you know, I'm a mental health and well-being advocate myself. So thrilled to have you on. want to know more about you, what you're doing out there in the ecosystem and your form school stuff, but really you as a person. And the objective is to find out um, as much about you as possible. Um, go back to your school days or sooner uh than that and just talk to us about your journey to date from, from then to where you are now that's okay
1: yeah of course Chris well first of all thank you um yeah for all you do in the space um and um yeah delighted to be uh, having a chat with you here today um so let's dive in shall we you want me to go back into uh into my yeah. school days and, and what so yeah it's, it's really weird right I, I there's big chunks of my childhood that I don't remember and, you know, I don't think that there's anything necessarily sinister about that, that I'm blocking it out for a reason. There may be. I'm not sure. I've done a lot, of, a lot of therapy to try and uncover this sort of stuff. But there's big chunks I don't remember. But what I do remember is from the earliest age um, that, that I can think back, I'd had this drive to, to be the best, uh, to beat people, and to almost proving to myself that I was good enough yeah and I've explored a lot of this with with therapy, right that you know I think I'd had quite a difficult birth and I think my mom um, bless her, she struggled to bond with me a little bit when I was first born. And then my granddad, who was a head teacher, retired, was my like best buddy um, through my first four years. And then kind of when I was about four, my brother arrived and then my granddad passed away. Right. So it was like my world was taken away from me. And this is what I've tried to able to piece together. And and I think what this left me was with with a feeling that I'm just not good enough, right? And mm-hmm. that really drove me. It drove me to be, you know, if we're playing cricket in the street, to be the best that it's possible to be. If we're playing football, I had to be scoring all the goals. If it's tests at school, I had to be top of the class. And it, yeah, it yeah. really, really drove me. And I've only found out later that that drive and that real energy came from this need to say I'm I'm good enough and, and really I'm good enough to myself. But there's whole chunks of my you know, my young childhood that I just can't remember. So whether there is some sort of trauma there or not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, this this really kind of it was a strength, really. It was a strength. I, you know, through my through my teens, I played basketball for England and I played semi professional basketball for Birmingham Bullets and and you know clubs in the Midlands. Wow. You know, I, my school was my school was interesting. It was like a it was a fairly rough school, but if you wanted to do well, the teachers would let you and support you doing so. So, yes. like I made a mind from the basketball club to um, club team, try to burn the school down. It was that sort of place. Wow. <laughs> but if you wanted to thrive and 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 perform, you, you know the teachers would support you. So I did. Yeah. Yeah, pretty well at GCSEs. I got four yeah. A's at A level, um, and you know, academically, I got really good results. Mm. And so, it was again all part of that 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 drive. So it's fueled my success. But I think, really, in my late teens and through my twenties, I started to experience what I now know is bipolar disorder and wow. bipolar. Yeah, but I wasn't then diagnosed till I was thirty. But I think the signs of it go back to. Whatever those traumas were, whether it was the ones that I mentioned or even unknown trauma that, that, that drove me to behave like i, uh, like I did
0: wow that 's an amazing summary of kind of thirty years of your life' it's got encapsulated in about five or six minutes. I mean you, you mentioned um, kind of feeling different and feeling not feeling worthy, and that really resonates for me. I mean I had a, a traumatic childhood and from a very very young age, I just felt I was different, I was inferior. And I was, I was kind of proving to, to, to my, my – I think I was proving to my parents. And that, was, that was my drive. But I realised my why was all wrong. What I was doing was, was, was all wrong. So you so we talk about it gave you that drive. But was that your motivator then to try and prove it to yourself or to other people? What do you think? So it's a really interesting question. I, I, it wasn't an, a, an
1: explicit motivator that I was aware of. Um, I just knew – um that I had to be the best at anything that I do um and and whether that's you know I can remember it from you know you know maths tests in when I was in junior school that I needed Ouch. to see my name at the top and if I wasn't I'd be furious with myself right, right. um and if um, I wasn't scoring the most goals um yeah I'd be I'd yeah. be furious with myself and you know Actually, that drove uh, – they're, they're quite negative feelings, those, but they drove me to be positive. They drove me to work hard, you know, so I would work hard to be top in the math class. And that came – that went all the way through my academic career. I didn't really care about um, the, the learning. I just wanted to beat people. Yeah. Um, and that interesting learning came a lot later in my life. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think I probably was trying to prove to myself, to my dad, to my mom, you know, that I was good enough but I wasn't aware of this and it's only, I know, you know, when you go into therapy, which happened in my thirties to, to look back at what drives behavior yeah. to understand that that might've been a, you know, a motivator. And, um, it's really interesting, but I certainly wasn't aware of the time. I just knew I had this unstoppable drive to be, um, successful to beat people, yeah. to be the best I could. And oh,
0: that really resonates with me. I- I've never been like that. Um, but thinking back now i probably wasn't actually on the planet i mean it it, it, it made me successful when you know, every single target five million 10 million 50 million got to all these all these wonderful awards and targets and the, but i wasn't emotionally attuned to, to myself or the world well, can you relate to that in any way I can, and and I kind of look at that through the
1: lens, and and this may resonate for you as well, from someone that's found a sense of purpose. So, you know, as I transitioned four years ago to become a campaigner, you know, in the mental health space, I've realized that actually my success isn't about the five or the 10 million or making the money. It's about changing the world and, and having meaningful activity in what I do, um, and so I probably wasn't emotionally connected with those successes, and I think those successes were probably driven from the wrong place, if mm. if you know what I mean. Mm. Where, whereas now, and, and certainly in the last four years, where I've I've you know been a campaigner and I'm trying to change the world in what I do, um, success is very differently defined and it's not just about self it's about impact on others right. but you know i look through i look through my 20s you know where i was lost I, I was a chartered accountant then i was in recruitment then i was in the bar business then i was out of it then i was back in recruitment you know and i, I made a success of all of them from one degree or another yeah but i, I was lost and I, I i was without a strong sense of purpose and for me even you know I know you 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 you're, you're, have been in in the recruitment game. You know, even when I owned my own business and was building that up, it still wasn't the right thing for me because I didn't love what I was doing. It was more—that's what I'd fell, fallen into, and that's what I was, you know, using to make money. Um, and even though we were you know, trying to create something with great people and you know, you know, that that entrepreneurial spirit it's only really ignited for me properly when I've been in the mental health campaigning space to say, okay, let's try and help others and let's create cultures that are better for people in terms of their mental health.
0: Yeah, I'm interested though to find out what if, there is a trigger or a turning point that kind of flipped your switch from being that kind of let's just say binary kind of person. To for me, it was my own lived experience of my own mental health and trauma, which you know most people know about. Was there anything particular that kind of made you sort of switch?
1: I think for me, it was it was kind of like step changes. Um, but I think what truly made me switch to being um, the person I am now and and, and was when I discovered. The, the mission that I could be involved in that was greater than, you know, just creating wealth or creating commercial success. Yeah. You know, and I think having a family, that changes you. I think, you know, having your own mm. business, that changes you. But when I realized that actually um, by sharing my story first about mental ill health yes. and, and seeing the inpouring of people that were sharing their stories back because I'd created the safe space for them to do it, I realised actually this is what I want to be doing. That moment, I thought, oh. I'm going, to, I'm going to try and make a difference. I'm going to find my angle, my niche in that space to use this adversity that's almost cost me my life when I was 31, when I tried to end it. I right. use that adversity to do some good in the world, and and that was the turning point. And and that was you know literally you know, kind of four years ago. Um, so at the age of you know. 45 as I was then or 49 now it's uh, it's taken me a long time to get to the place that I feel I'm meant to be Yeah, but I'm super I'm super
0: grateful that I've arrived at this place yeah and it, it is a process and a journey you don't just wake up one day and flick the switch do you Does it, and, and I think that um I mean touching on that attempt to end your life um I've talked about that myself my own attempts um, so you're speaking to someone who knows what that feels like and even talking about it now it, you know I'm kind of Uh, pausing a little bit but if you wouldn't mind sharing the build-up to that and and what happened around that time that's okay yeah of
1: course so I was diagnosed with initially depression when I was 30 Um, and you know that that was a, a big moment for me because I realized that I was spending increasing amount of time not being able to do my job not being able to go to the workplace you know and it wasn't just about the fact I didn't like what I was doing there was something more going on and again I had this amazing boss at the time um, Nicola Grimshaw um, as her name was then in recruitment who really helped me and inspired me to seek some help and so she, to the point where she'd even researched the numbers of some local therapists and inspired me to give them a call to make it easy for me. So I did that, and I got help, and I mm. got a diagnosis. Um, and I thought, brilliant, I can be mended now by the medical profession. They can yeah. give me a pill, they can give me some therapy, and I will be well. And I was. For six months, I thought, brilliant, that's cracked it. You know, that's got that sorted. I can move uh, yeah, on. Yeah, it yeah. explains yeah. all of this, this erratic behavior that I didn't understand through my 20s. And I'm, I'm now, well, the medical professional fixed me. Yeah. Six months later, the depression came back. Um, and this time it came back with a loss of hope and a complete right. sense of futility. Sure. Um, and suicide and suicide attempts often occur with, with, with when two things happen. One, when, when you feel a loss of hope. And two, when you feel you're a burden to everybody around you. Mm. And... I'd lost hope and I felt I was that burden. And, you know, when I was 31, I, I attempted to end end my life. Now, clearly, I was unsuccessful. And I had some people around me that, you know, it's, I'll never forget the night, but this, this friend of mine, Big Johnny, he's called Big Johnny because he's a big man. He can right. literally pick up a car at the back and pull it off the ground and just sort of trot down the road, wheeling it down. He's a wow. guy I used to play basketball, with a very strong, big man. And I just remember him tenderly looking after me during this lowest point of my life and taking me to see my therapist and making sure I got some help. Yeah. Uh, he didn't understand what was going on for me, but he was there for me. And I had a few people like that who were my kind of rocks. They were mm. the people that gave me hope, And they gave me the ability to talk, and the people that just checked in with me and looked out for me during that darkest time. And then it's yeah, you you talk about journey for me, and for all of us that are recovering from something like that, it's a big journey, and you have ups and downs with it. Um, But over time, I then started to learn to manage my condition, and you know, I definitely needed you know, medication to help with the depression. I definitely needed um, different sorts of therapy over the years and different therapists to help yeah. me with some of the understanding, help me deal with it now, and help me manage these challenges a lot better. Um, but, you know, it, was, it took that low moment for me to start that journey, I think. And mm-hmm. um, okay. the thing that I would always look back on, and certainly where I'm at now in my life, and it's this it definitely makes me a bit emotional too, um, is there is always hope, right? There is always hope. And for someone who might be listening to this or anything else that, that you do and hears this, there is always hope, no matter how bad it feels. Because, you know, I've had some wonderful experiences since that time. Yeah. Uh, I've got a wonderful family. I've, I'm doing a great job. Uh, I love what I do. I've got some wonderful people in my life. Yeah. And I'm doing a lot of good. And that could have all ended very differently um, because of that loss of hope. And there is always hope. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's that's a phenomenally vivid explanation, but I do want to go even deeper. I, I, I remember one, well, was three or four times, but one time in particular, standing on uh, a train platform and just like, hoping this train would come along. I planned it out. And kind of, it was a, a weak build-up, and each day it got stronger and stronger. And it's like, without being too kind of... Deep and dark. I, I'd quite like to understand what it felt like, and you know, when, wh- where were you? What were you trying to do? What was it like in, in that in that situation?
1: Yeah, and I think uh, you know, we we have to be careful talk, talking about suicide and suicide attempts because the one thing that I've learned as a campaigner and speaker on this is. It's we got to be careful not talking about method, um, because actually, if you talk about method and somebody's really vulnerable in that low place, that can actually inspire them to use that 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 method. Yeah. Um, but you asked me what, what I was feeling, and I can exactly. talk about that. Um, that exactly. I, I I was feeling like the the cost of carrying on in life was lower than the cost of ending it. Yeah. Um, it, it felt like that was an easier option, even though that was very hard. Um, and suicide isn't a, a way out. You're not a coward if you um, uh, no. end your life by suicide. It, it, you, it's actually a very incredibly difficult thing to do. Um, and I felt like, the the, those those costs that it was almost like a balance sheet and it was like uh, actually this is not worth it and I I felt like I was a burden to the people around me I felt like I was a burden to society and I felt like there wasn't hope Mm. and I didn't see a way out I didn't see a way out of that feeling that I was experiencing at that time
0: Yeah.
1: yeah and so it was it was almost like there was no other choice it felt like at the time there was no other choice now I've learned that that's not the case Mm -hmm. and and when I say stuff like this I'm always very careful to then shine the the positive light that there is a way out and there is hope and the burden can be lifted and your people that you're worrying about being a burden to are are those people Mm -hmm. that want to support you they love you right Mm -hmm. and they want to support you and get you through this
0: on, on that point, I normally ask this at the end. But talking about the positive solutions and steps forward in, in that situation, um, I've got my own ideas on it. But I'd like to hear from you around what practical tips could you give someone in that situation that you'd like to share. So, somebody in crisis
1: mode, um, it, it's it's difficult because when you're in when you're in crisis mode, you, you sometimes you can't do anything. Um, but what would i what would I want someone to hear in that mode yeah. is um, is talk to somebody just you know think of somebody that you'd be prepared to talk to mm. and message them and say you need to talk or call them if you can yeah. um, and so that's that's one practical thing that I would do secondly, if you don't want to talk to someone you know, call the Samaritans um, go to emergency um, services yeah, yeah. Um, because you will, I know somebody that's um, Samaritans definitely saved their life. They were right on uh, the edge in the crisis mode that we're talking to talking about. Samaritans really helped them. So find someone who you love or you trust, or if not, a professional to talk to, or just go and check yourself into A&E if it is that bad. Mm. So that's the first thing. I think, secondly, what I would because that's when you get to that point you know so that's a low point from where you've got to there, there will be signs there will be warning signs before then yes and and i think what is super important is that we surround ourselves with people that know that we're struggling do not suffer alone you wouldn't do it okay. for a physical health challenge okay. you shouldn't do it for a mental health challenge there is no shame in talking about this and you know I'd certainly got people at that time that I, I could have um, let know what was going on, but make sure you've got people who are checking in with you and are offering you that support. Mm. I think one of the biggest tools for me at a, you know, not not at that real crisis mode, it, it, it is acceptance. You know, so when I'm feeling really low. Um, and you know, and that will happen now. That's happened within the last few weeks, and it will happen again. Um, you know, just because I know how to manage bipolar doesn't mean I won't experience the extremes. Of course, but when I do experience the extremes, um, and and particularly for me, the depression, which is always the worst part of my cycle, acceptance yes. is the most powerful tool to help get totally. through that. But, totally. You know, because um, too often we we're We don't like dealing with uncomfortable emotions, and depression is a very, very uncomfortable emotion and feeling, Um, or the feelings associated with depression. But if we can sit there with a sense of lightness, a sense of curiosity, and say, "Okay, well, this is rubbish, isn't it?" But Mm. I know. I know tomorrow could be a different day um, yesterday doesn't exist anyway um, so I'm going to sit with this can I Can I read a book will that help can I get outside okay no what can I do do I need to go to sleep all right mm. and with that with that level of acceptance then comes self-kindness yes. and self-kindness is, is is really what we need to then that's, get through that moment in time that's, um,
0: that's the gateway to move forward isn't
1: it yeah. yeah so I find I find that you know super helpful but I think we need to smash the stigma and you, you, know, yeah. you know about my work on the Inside Out Leaderboard, we need to make it as normal to talk about a mental illness as we do with a physical illness, yeah. so we've got those people around us who are aware and who can check in, it's
0: really really important. I think that's right you mentioned acceptance there, like acknowledging that um, actually when you say you're not alone you, you really aren't the, the, you know, they're saying one in four but that's load, I'm going to sort of almost swear that is a load of bollocks because every single yeah. person has mental health or mental illness or mental whatever you want to term the phrase as and it can affect you and also as well I, I pick on the, up on the point that I put lo- loads of posts about check on your happy mate check on your calm mate I mean you you can I mean I, I, I went out to a social gathering uh, a couple of weeks ago and I was suffering quite badly for the majority of that period in, with my mental health it was only a couple of weeks ago and i I, t- I told my friends about it, and they said at no point did they ever think they thought I was really measured, really in control. I was social, sure I was talking. But behind that veneer of that, mate, I was, I was all over the shop. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a tricky one, isn't it? I've been there many, many times, thousands
1: of times, where inside I am screaming, and outside, um, uh, you know, I've, I've, I'm putting on a game face. And the beauty of being open uh, now is I can tell people that I'm struggling. With, mm. with with yeah. my mental health, um, right. and, and and I know you're open, and you know, you, you can't do it in every situation. Right. But actually, yeah, you know, when someone says, "How are you?" Um, yeah. Well, I'm I'm, a bit, I'm I'm pretty low today. I mean, I'm here, and that's a big oh, thing. But I'm pretty really low. Right. And as soon as you have that conversation, right, you can yeah. then you're connecting because you've shown vulnerability, you've shown um, that you trust that person, and then you can have a more meaningful interaction.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it's. And that's why we need to smash the stigma. But I I, yeah. I, I get it. But you know, for me, that that check in with our mates, um, I do. It's super important, and that's the whole mm. basis of what we're doing with FormScore yeah. form score to, to make it easier for friends to be aware
0: of when they might be struggling or when they're doing all right. I want. I really want to talk about form score in a moment, but I want to go back on your whole the whole being diagnosed with bipolar in itself is going to affect anyone but just talk to me about that journey and how you've kind of managed that um, and see it, in itself it's i mean it's 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 must make you feel quite anxious or doubt yourself and all this kind of you've got to make a, you know, allowances and all, all sorts haven't you
1: yeah i mean you know it, it, i've always been really erratic i've either been locked in a room thinking that I didn't like people and was antisocial or I'd be the life and soul of the party, taking my clothes off in public, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, or walking up to the biggest guy in the nightclub and, and asking him if he knows where the gym is. And, and um, you know, I did that yeah. for years until I was completely knocked out by the biggest guy in that particular night. Yeah, and it was just stupid stuff like that, um, which I've later realized i I'd be doing stuff like that where I was in, in a hypermanic state and I'd be locked away in my room when I was in a depressive state. Yeah, um, So, the, the the diagnosis helped me understand previous behaviour and and why you know why I am like I am at times mm. so that was quite helpful because I I could label it I could research it I could um, you know try to understand it a bit more but that doesn't understanding doesn't mean it won't happen yeah and so so for me. When, when I went through that dark period when I tried to end my life and uh, realized that that this is a management of a condition rather than trying to fix a condition, that was the light, that was the light bulb moment because then over time and there's no there 's no linear progression on this it 's up and down and, and, and but over time, I learned how to effectively manage it so it was helpful to understand you know, and have a label it was then also helpful to once i got through the dark bit to understand that just having that label and being in the medical profession and you know having therapy is not going to fix it necessarily no. it's going to help you manage it yeah. and and that was the biggest realization for me that we're in we're in a period of management and control as opposed Absolutely. to trying to trying to get fixed and that was then helpful and that's over over the years then i could start to progress
0: in terms of how i did that I think that's a really important point because I think that extends out to, to to those who aren't necessarily clued up enough about mental health. They, I think, some people deem it as you know, let's, let's have a gathering on a Thursday and talk about some nice stuff and it's just done. It's it's an ongoing thing, and I feel that that word acceptance is so important. It's by accepting this that, that you have it or you've got something, then um, you're halfway there. Um, and yeah, but I, I think you're right. You know, the, the, the stat one in one of us have mental
1: health. You know, one in four of us might have a diagnosable mental illness, you know, but all of us will experience mental ill health because of stuff that's going on or stuff that happens. And all of us, even if we do have a a diagnosable mental illness, can experience a period of thriving. You know, we're on a continuum. Of course. And and so we're all, the opportunity is there for all of us to manage our mental well-being. Um, And the rewards for managing that is we can be thriving more of the time. Yeah, more of the time. And that, you yeah, you can still have positive, you know, mental yeah, well being and a diagnosable mental illness, which exactly. I would class myself as thriving, you yeah, know, most of the time. But for all of us, it requires investment, like it would for our physical fitness, um, in, yeah. in, in our mental wellness. And it's not going to come just because we
0: um, think it should. We have to work at it. Mm. I want to move on to the form score thing in a moment, but I, I think it's almost like a, a chronological. Um, series of events around. I feel over the last eighteen months, and one thing COVID and the pandemic has done, I, I think it's helped bring mental health and wellbeing into the fore. I think it's become more a level playing field in terms of status and job title. You know, the lead, the leadership teams, leadership people are talking about it a bit more. So the first step is to, is to talk about it and be open and vulnerable. So guys like me and you doing that is great. That is a great step forward, isn't it? And long may that continue. But the next step is then you know solutionable solution uh, actions and solutions um what, what what steps would you advise you know once once you're encouraging people to talk about it you know what, what are the next steps in your in your eyes so
1: i think at, at the individual level and i think we can look at it from an organizational point of view as well at the individual level um considering where you are on, on that continuum and considering what is driving it then allows you to proactively manage it. And again, using the analogy of physical fitness, you know, you you realize you want to get fit, then you start thinking, okay, I'll go for a, a long walk or I'll go for a run or I'll go to the gym and you start building it up and you can get to a level of fitness. I think it's a bit more complicated with, with mental well-being, but the same principles apply. You need to understand what is driving it. And yeah. for some people, it will be Yeah, stress management or social connection or um financial wellness um for for others it might be you know they need to actually do some exercise or find a sense of purpose there's lots of things that affect our mental well-being Mm -hmm. um and then it's a case of making some steps to proactively manage it and prioritize those steps you know that's the great opportunity and then if if we make that assessment and we're struggling with our mental well-being It's then thinking, okay, what support do I need to deal with this sort of stuff? Do I need to see a therapist? And that's okay. Do I need to just open up and talk a little bit more? Is this something that needs professional help? Um, And you might not know. And it's a bit of trial and error, I think. But the idea would be to try and catch yourself before you end up in crisis mode. Now having said all of that some of us will be there because of trauma or something that's that's happened or or, or whatever and sometimes you know we just need to seek some help um and yeah. so the other bit is understanding there is no
0: shame in seeking help for for a mental health challenge what would you say to those people I, I mean I, I put a lot of mental health posts out and I, I generally get loads of you know positive feedback but there is a, a proportion of the of the demographic out there let's put it that way that as, a, as an example say all too often too many people play the mental health card I mean it's, it's hard not to, 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 to fight back on, on, on that but what, what would you say to those types of people who without sort of categorizing them too much that you know they've got that way of thinking whether they, they feel it's almost an excuse and do you feel that people use it as an excuse sometimes as well so if you, if you look
1: at the workplace people, there will be a subset of people that will always look for some sort of excuse to not do what they're supposed to be doing. You mm. know? And um, because there is greater awareness of, of mental health in the workplace, some people and minority of people might use that to say, I can't come into work because I've got anxiety or whatever. Yeah. Um, pre- previously it would have been, I can't come into work because I've got a long-term back injury and I'm going to go and get myself signed off by the doctor. <laughs> um, so I think we don't need to worry about the, the, the unscrupulous people who are going to be shirking anyway, just because they're, they're calling out mental health as the label. Mm. What we do need to worry about are the people that genuinely will be suffering from mental ill health, which will far outweigh the people who are using it as an excuse. Um, and create cultures, environments, awareness, resources that help them yeah. with those particular challenges and, and move more towards thriving. And, you know, I do a lot of work with organisations on, um, yeah, kind of engaging leadership or mental health strategy. And when you start raising awareness of mental um, health in the workplace, what you will find is that your um, absence stats for mental health will massively go up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um and you want that because actually that's a good thing because people feel they're more comfortable about putting the reason that they're, they're, they're off work. Then over time, you can start to bring that down. Yeah. But those people are off already, right, with mental ill health, but they're putting stomach bugs and back, back issues down because they're not comfortable with saying how they are. Mm. But there's always going to be that subset of people that want to kind of yeah, play the system, but they will always find a way of doing so. I don't think we need to worry about them.
0: So talk to me about form score then, uh, why uh, you've done that in the first place and how it's going and where you want to take it.
1: Yeah, thank you. So Formscore at a simple level was a tool given to me by a therapist uh, about 15 years ago. Um, and obviously my mood could fluctuate quite widely yeah. um, and wildly. And and this particular therapist said, look, why don't you just track your mood with a score out of 10? Um, and then just see, see what that does for you. And then as we work through the therapy, we talk about it. We talk about how it's been. And what I started to do was saying, okay, well, I've been you know, a 6 out of 10 or I've been a bit of 5 out of 10, and this is why. And what I found was that this was really simple, um, but importantly helped me build up the self-awareness of what was driving my mood. Yeah, and you know, and it, know, yeah, As I say, I'm a, you can see my background here on the on the Zoom that we're on. You know, I'm an eight out of ten. I'm on very good form today um, because I slept really well last night, and that gave me a boost from the seven I was yesterday. But it, if I go to a seven, six, then a five, what what this simple tool does is just allow me to think, why is that? And invariably, Chris, it'll be I'm working too hard and I'm disconnected from my family. I'm not getting enough breaks in the day and I'm feeling a bit too stressed. I'm not getting outside into nature enough or I'm not managing to do any exercise. So at a very simple level, it builds that self-awareness. Now, I've been a campaigner, as I mentioned, for four years. Just over two years ago, I thought, you know, why don't I start publishing this this number that I use every day personally? Yeah. And I had no agenda. I had no idea of where it would go. But I just started putting it on my email signature, then my LinkedIn profile. And what I found was that people would engage with this and they would do things like send me their number back. Oh, wow. see, so you're a six today, I'm a seven. And I, like, I didn't expect that. And then um, a, a good client of mine um, said, I love it when you're a, a high score, a nine, because that gives me a boost in my own mm-hmm. and so, um And then obviously people, if I was a, a four or a five, they'd reach out and, and, and you know, offer some support. So what I started to understand was that there's this real... Opportunity to facilitate connection yeah. using this very simple concept of tracking your mood with a score out of ten. Right, and so I then started testing it in keynotes, and I would share my score um, in those beautiful yeah. days where we are on stages. Although we're getting back onto stages now, which is good, <laughs> um, and and share my score and what's driving it. And then I'd invite the audience to turn to the person next to them and then share what their score is and share as much or as little about it. Yeah. yeah. And it was electric, Chris, you know, it would mm. be, you know, I've done it in small rooms, I've done it in rooms of 500 people. And it's like, just you can't shut them up after a while. There's just right. chatting, they're, they're, they're eye contact, laughing and an engagement. And this made me think, I'm really onto something. Mm. And so I then started just thinking about how we might apply this um, to, to help people. And fortunately, along the way, I met a guy called Andrew Tarver, who's another bipolar guy and runs a, a technology business. And he and his team then helped me shape this into the Form Score app and yes. solution. So very simply, the app allows um, people to connect. So if we're connected, we would see each other's Form Score. If yes. yours was you know, dropped down, I'd get a notification saying, hey, check in with your mate Chris, he's low today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helps build up that self-awareness that then enables people to support each other yes. and then be a bit more intentional about their own well-being. And then, what we do with the workplace, we take those numbers in a, in a work, um, and with the consent of the individuals, aggregate them up anonymously, and then what we've got is a real-time metric on organisational or team well-being, which is super helpful and super interesting. Mm-hmm. So we have you know, a lot of interest in this, a lot of pilots, you know, first few customers signed up. Um, so it's it, it's a big mission, right? It's a big mission to help um, help. Organizations better um, look after the the well being of people and help the individuals in those organizations and society at large be better at supporting each other. Yeah. So the app's free. It's Form Score um, in both of the app stores. You can check it out and, and yeah. have a look.
0: I mean, I take I take my hat off to you because there, there's a lot of people trying to. I think what what I feel is is an interactive kind of. It's not really a solution, isn't it? But it's, it's, it just it helps the individual feel accountable, but also feel not alone, I think, as well. Um, I'd like to ask you um, your thoughts on, when, we, when we're talking about past trauma and mental health, I think there's two schools of people. There's the people that feel that talking about it, going over all ground, going to therapy, getting counselling, being open uh is the way to process it and then move on and there's other schools of people that think actually you're doing that all you're doing is you're you're being part of your story you're owning your story too much and you're never going to move forward i think i know what the answer is but do, and, and the second question do you feel that you can over talk about something and not move on to to, to, to future um future stuff
1: yeah, good questions. You know, for anyone listening, I'm not a, um, a, a qualified um, psychotherapist. So, you know, a caveat, this is a personal view on that. But, you know, for, for me, I think there is huge benefit from exploring, um, you know, the why and the trauma that would happen with a view to with a professional helping you unlock that trauma, yeah. which allows you to heal from it. Um, and you know, that can take a lot of work and that can be pretty hard and pretty traumatic. Um, but if you can do that, if one can do that, then it, it gives you the platform to be able to move on and move forward. You yeah. know, it's it, it, it's not you move beyond it um, because it defines you or defines a part of you, but you can move on beyond and heal the wounds that that, that continually yes. occurs. In answer to your second question, yes, I think you know, you've also got to look... Um, beyond the past for sure because in actual fact the past does not exist nor does the future you know the only thing that does exist is the moment right um, so you can' spend too much time looking looking past but I think if if looking into the past to help you um, be in the moment and and let go of the hurt um, to be present in that moment and to be able to move forward yeah then that's the right thing to do but at some point you know, um, and I don't I don't think I've got there in terms of really understanding everything that has driven me to the, the way I am. And I'm kind of comfortable with that because, actually, uh, I'm quite comfortable with who I am, how to manage the, the challenges that I have. And I kind of like who I am right now. And I've got to that point. But I think, so for me, I tend to look more into the now and how to influence the future than look to the past. But looking into the past has been hugely beneficial to allow me to get to this point of stability.
0: Love that answer. Um, You touched on a word qualifications, which is actually my next question. What's your view on those who say, well, I'm not going to listen to you because you haven't got any mental health qualifications versus someone who's got lived experience. What's what's your view on that general piece around the danger of giving advice, not giving advice, the, the need for qualifications or not need for qualifications?
1: Yeah, so it depends on what you're saying as an individual, doesn't it? So, um, you know, what I would never try and do is, um, is is help someone with a complicated mental illness and you know help them try to recover from that. Yeah, you know, because I'm not qualified to do that. In the same way, to to use an analogy, that if someone told me they had cancer, I wouldn't try and recommend a course of chemotherapy um, because I'm also not qualified to do that. Um, what I am qualified to do is uh, talk about my own experiences, yeah. um, talk about my own journey um, to recovery. Mm-hmm. But the stuff that I talk about is the, is the power of being open. It's the power of storytelling. It's the power of leaderships telling their stories. It's the yeah. power um, of creating um, psychologically safe cultures. It's the power of prioritizing one's well-being. Um, sure. and, and I'm eminently qualified to do that because I talk to a huge number of business leaders who share their stories and are open in their workplaces yeah. um, so I think you know, this is the thing with mental mental ill health um, that we've got to understand that look we can't fix people in our network so I get a lot of people t- telling me their stories you know, I don't try and fix them I'll tell them I can't yeah. fix you hmm what I can do and what we can all do is inspire people in our network that that might confide in us to seek that professional help. Um, but I think we can all, you know, we're all human and we can, this is the human condition. We will experience challenges mentally. Um, and I think we can all talk about those experiences and and create a, a culture, a society, a workplace
0: that allows that level of openness loving this conversation i think we're going to have to do a follow-up rob because you're, yeah. it's, it's captivating you know it's, it's really i'm sort of learning as i as, as i as i ask you questions thank you for your openness i mean in, 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 in closing um this is the purpose-led leadership podcast and you touched on you said the word legacy early on um what do you want that to look like what's your what's your purpose
1: I have a big, big mission, um, and, and my mission is to – it, it's, it, it's, there's a few elements to it, but it's to smash the stigma of mental ill health in the workplace Yeah. Um, to the point where – People can feel as comfortable putting their hand up and saying, I'm struggling with my mental health in the same way that they would say I'm struggling with my physical health. And that's all the work of the Inside Out Leader Board um, and the, a lot of the talks that I do. Mm-hmm. I also have a, a bigger, an even bigger mission with Formscore, which is to help the world be more intentional about wellbeing. Sure. Um, and so with that mission, I'm looking to inspire everybody wherever they are on that continuum mm-hmm. that actually prioritizing and spending some time investing in your personal well-being is a great thing to do because it will make you happier, healthier and more productive. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'm blown away by this, this conversation. I'm sure many people will be as well. Giving advice, as you say, is a difficult one because what, what I find in this space uh, you know what's good for me isn't necessarily good for somebody else, but the question I'm going to frame it as what what general kind of tips or or, or, or guide guiding would you give anyone who's struggling with their mental health and well-being?
1: Yeah. And, okay. and, um, it's a really good question. so if you are struggling with your mental well-being, um, number one talk find someone who you love and trust and talk about it in your immediate network. Number yeah. two. Seek professional help. Just like you would if you had a physical health challenge or a complicated physical illness, you wouldn't try and manage that by seeing what happens. You would go and see a specialist. Um, There is no shame in doing that um, for your mental um, health challenges as well. That would be number two. Um, Number three would be work out some of the things that bring you joy and that keep you well. So for me, it's exercise, it's prioritizing sleep, yeah. and it's it's making sure I'm connected to the right people. And I have um, yeah, people that bring me joy in my life. So do that alongside the challenges you've got, because actually some of those things will help you make the challenge a little bit easier to bear. But you might need some help in, in,
0: in getting through them. Fantastic. Fantastic stuff, mate. I'm, I'm really proud i'm really um impressed and generally um thankful to have you on the show i think what you're doing is phenomenal i think the form score thing is brilliant i'd advocate anyone jumping on that um, i just want to thank you uh, generally for all the work you're doing to help others um, i love your mission love your purpose and uh, you know I-, I wish you all success in the world and thank you very much where can where can people best find you so check me out on LinkedIn,
1: uh, Rob Stevenson with a PH, and uh, you'll find a little octopus after my name. I'm easy to find. Um, and then formscore.today is the, uh, the website for Formscore. But just go and check out the app, download Formscore in the various app stores.
0: Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure, Rob. Loved it. Chris, Chris well, thank you so much for having me. The Purpose Dead Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Pink Cherry. VinCherry, our all-in-one CRM and ATS platform, purpose-built for recruitment and staffing agencies. I chose to partner with VinCherry because, honestly, I'm a customer. They keep me competitive, plug into my calendar and email, and make the whole admin part of my job as a recruiter a hell of a lot easier. The Purpose and Leadership podcast lists to get 25% off VinCherry's onboarding. So if you're looking for a recruitment CRM to accelerate your growth, check them out at VinCherry.io forward slash Chris O'Connell.